0: A lot of times we think rest, oh, let me lay on the sofa and watch Netflix for 10 hours, or let me go take a nap, or let me go to bed. And we always think of rest as just sitting still doing nothing. But rest is really those restorative activities, those things that pour back into the places that we've emptied out. It's an active process that rather than draining you, actually fills you. Welcome to the Push Podcast.
1: So if you're juggling all the things, but you're also trying to get to the next level, guess what? You're in the right place. So get ready to be pushed. And welcome back to the Push Podcast. This is your host, Eddie, and I am on my end solo, which is the first time ever in 100 plus episodes. This is episode 115. But what I did do is, so even though. There's normally a very powerful woman next to me. We actually have a powerful woman today as a guest on the PUSH podcast, and her name is Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. She is an author, researcher, physician, speaker, coach, superwoman, extravaganza, like everything. Welcome to the PUSH podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: And Dr. We didn't even discuss this, but do you do a doctor, Dr. Sandra, Dr. Dalton, Dr. Sandra?
0: Sandra. (laughs) Whatever you're comfortable with. Basically, it's
1: Sandra. Sandra, awesome. So, Sandra focuses on something very specific. And I know that you probably study a lot of different things, but what really caught our eye was your work around uh, rest and the seven uh, types of rests. And I think that that is an important conversation. And and we have talked about a lot of things. And and obviously on the Push podcast, just in the title, you think about grind, grind, grind it. But for us, it's not really what it's about. And so when we stumbled across uh, Sandra, we thought this is perfect. I think even uh, Janelle has even mentioned some of the work that you've talked about. So can't wait to kind of have a really in-depth conversation about that. And, and then also really highlight, um, I think you've wrote written three books, correct?
0: Mm-hmm, that's correct.
1: Fantastic. So we'll talk a little bit about those books and we'll put those names out there. And then we'll share with the, the folks out there what you study and what you've uh, communicated. You've done a TED Talk, which is fantastic. So traditionally on the on the Push Podcast, we do a what in the world. And so you said you have one. So you want sh- you want to share your what in the world?
0: Yes. Well, I live in the Birmingham, Alabama area. So you can imagine a couple of weeks ago when an unranked team showed up and decided to knock number one out out of the number one spot. That was the comment we were saying here in Alabama. What in the world just happened? Because that's not how things go down with football. So
1: That is hilarious. Yeah. So Alabama, for the folks who don't know, traditionally is like a number top five team every single year. Your coach, I think, what is his name? Nick Saban, I think he has like this ridiculous, like 180 something wins and five losses, something crazy uh, record. So losing to an unranked team is, is like unheard of.
0: It really is. And honestly, I'm not a big football fan. So for me to to be staring at the screen and thinking what just happened, <laughs> That's, that means it really took us all by surprise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my what in the world is we just came back from New Orleans and I will tell you, I have seen a lot of things in this planet, not everything, and I can't wait to see more, but I went to a... We went to get something to eat one late night. so we were went at uh, Janelle's brother's wedding, and I officiated the wedding, which was an amazing experience in itself. And after the wedding, we, we went to go get something to eat. You know it was late, and we said, "What's open?" So there was a place, one that was open 24 hours. And I think it's called Melby's. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's called Melby's. And it was interesting is that they, they had like in a full-on like fast food restaurant where they had Po' Boys, they had bourbon chicken, they had all kinds of different items that you can order. And it was really cool because you can walk up and order on this kiosk. But what they also had was a bookstore inside of this restaurant, which was interesting. And and, and the cool thing was they were giving away free books. (laughs) Uh, If you ordered a daiquiri, which this is New Orleans, if you ordered a daiquiri, you get a free book. (laughs) I thought that was really bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) And then if you look, if you walk around, there's actually a laundromat attached to it as well. So it was a laundromat, restaurant, bookstore. But Sandra, that wasn't it. That wasn't everything. They actually had a like a casino where you can do like video poker in this restaurant. And so I was so, I have never seen a place that was so many options. I mean, I was like, you know, you can go there all day. You can say, I went to Melby's. I did my laundry. I had a few daiquiris. I read a book. I ate lunch. And then they had a kid's zone. So they had kids like daycare or something in the laundromat. It was the most bizarre thing. And maybe we'll take the footage uh, that we had to film it because I didn't think anyone would believe me. That was my what in the world. It was like, what in the world? I mean, they have so many things in this restaurant that I I was so confused, but it all worked out.
0: (laughs) That's like serial entrepreneurship to the max.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. They were like, you know what? I'm not going to start a new business. I'm just going to add to this business. We got a restaurant. We're going to have a laundromat. got
0: room. And it, was so, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was so interesting because I couldn't smell the food. All I smelled was laundry detergent. And I'm like, I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't think that's a good thing at all. So that was impressive. So Sandra, let's jump into it. Tell us a little bit about this idea around rest. I mean, you're talking about rest, and and I'll I'll kind of position this as a devil's advocate. Like, everyone's talking about grind. You got to grind it out. You got to hard work. And, you know, and everyone's at this race to make money and to to find success. and, And you're talking about rest. Tell me a little bit about that.
0: Well the thing is that's I think that's the the issue most of us are kind of focusing on the grind and what ends up happening is we get burned out in the process. Yeah that was my journey. Mm-hmm. That's what really led me to doing the research on this and and I think that's honestly why places like Fast Company and Inc and Ted.com and all these places are picking up on the the research because they're seeing the effect that grind culture is actually having on people mentally physically, emotionally. And so I think that's kind of where we're having to really get an understanding. How do we get to a place where we are not burned out? We actually enjoy the work we do. We feel energized and passionate about it. And really the way we get there is through rest.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned, tell us a little bit about your story and how you, how you kind of got here.
0: Well, I'm an internal medicine physician. I've been in I've been in practice now for over 20 years. At the time, I've been in practice maybe for about seven, eight years. I had two toddlers. And so, um, you know, working 60 plus hours a week and then having two small kids at home. I mean, I felt like I was working like a continuous full-time job all day, all night. And it got to a place where, you know, I spent so much time kind of building my career. I was already writing, already had book contracts, already doing stuff in the media So, you know, on the outside, my life looked extremely successful, but it did not feel good to live. It was a life that looked beautiful, but felt horrible. (laughs) And so, you know, it took a moment to kind of come to that truth about the situation. This is the life that I've built. You know, I got the car, the man, the house, the kids, the career. If all of those things are not actually making me happy, then I can actually change what I'm doing so that I can start enjoying what I've actually built. I think that's what the problem was. I built a life that I no longer felt comfortable living in because I wasn't allowing time to enjoy it. You know, and rest, That one of the big wow. things about rest, one of the gifts, as I call it, of rest is the ability to reflect and productivity, boundaries, all of those things that we need to have appropriate work-life integration. I wasn't doing any of this.
1: You said a lot there that I, I want to kind of touch on. But the, the first thing is that, like you said, that it, it just didn't feel like a life you wanted to live. And, you know, I think that in this age of social media and in an age of distractions, like what were the signs like? And the reason why this is important is because I think so often we're so distracted that we don't know that we feel horrible. Right. Until we hit bottom. What were some of the signs for you? Like, like hey, there's something there's something that needs to change.
0: Well, you know, at the time, I really didn't know the details of how do you, burnouts even defined. You know, now I recognize that you know the World Health Organization defines it in three components. Basically, that you're tired all the time, maybe, you know, and the kind of tired where you go to sleep, sleep eight hours, wake up, and you're still tired. <laughs> so it's like that mm-hmm. tired that won't leave you. You can't seem to to make it go away with another vacation or taking time off from work. Seems like nothing is actually making you feel restored. The weekends don't do it anymore. So that's number one, that kind of debilitating chronic fatigue. That's not about just needing more sleep. Number two is that I just didn't enjoy my work anymore. I kind of, I had worked for, you know, a physician, you're in school forever. And then residency after that for a career that at the time you have a lot of passion, that's kind of what's driving you to actually go through all of the drama of residency and internship. And then to get into the place of it and have no passion for it anymore. So that's the second part of how they define burnout is loss of passion. And then the third is that your actual productivity is not at its highest capacity. So, you know, I think that's where many of us are. We are still producing work. You know, we're still productive in some sense, but we're not producing our best work. We're not producing high quality work. We're kind of producing from our place of emptiness and exhaustion. So we're putting stuff out there but it's not what we are truly capable of putting out there. And I knew that, you know, I knew that I was not showing up my best self. And I think it was those, you know, at the time I didn't, this is before the World Health Organization even identified burnout as an issue. But those were the things that I was feeling at the time. And now it's become more recognized because we see a lot of people who are currently functionally burned out. They show up at work every day, they get the job done, they get a check, they go home. But they're burned out. They have all three characteristics, and they're they're they feel stuck. They don't know how to get out of that.
1: That's huge, and I want to unpack that because I think that w- what I heard there too is is something that leads to probably even not only just chronic exhaustion is already bad, but but then also this self esteem that that gets hit because you're not happy with the work that you're doing. And maybe you haven't identified that it is the fact that you're tired, right? <laughs> you know, and you need rest. And so then you go down this this cycle of, of feeling horrible about yourself, but also feeling tired. And so we know that depression is, is huge in the United States and, and mental health is, is something that's debilitating so many people. So I hope that the audience really caught a lot of what you just said there, because I think that those are signs that you can look for in your life. And that can give you some really good clarity of, like, I, I think I need to rest. I think I need, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that rest. But before we do, you, you mentioned something like work-life integration. And I know that was just like a light thing that you said, but that's a, that's a term that's, that was fairly new to me because I think so often people talk about work-life balance. What did you mean by work-life integration?
0: Well, I don't think work-life balance is actually what any of us really want, <laughs> We start off saying that, that we want work-life balance. But, you know, when you really think about that, you really can't have these two things kind of teeter-tottering on either side. Something's down, something's up, something's always losing. You know, what I actually prefer that when I'm working with clients, it's the conversation we have is how do we get work-life harmony where things are integrated in a way so that there's an ebb and a flow that feels natural, that actually is empowering instead of having these highs and these lows. And so that's what I mean by integration. There's a kind of mending together of the two worlds where you don't feel like they are mutually exclusive of each other, but that they actually work together in harmony so that you're able to use your gifts and talents. You're able to stay in a good place mentally. You're able to enjoy your family. You're not having to pick and choose. If you actually are able to integrate both of them together.
1: Yeah, that's huge. I mean, a lot of our, our students that we coach, that's something that they definitely struggle with. And, and I think that the struggle is just exactly that. They're, they're trying to achieve something that I don't know if it's possible. And to your point, I don't know if that's what they actually want. You want your work to to be in harmony with your life, right? Because it's a big part of your life.
0: Exactly. Yeah. 40 hours right. uh, is no joke. That's a, long, that's a lot of time, you know, set, right? doing something and to try to balance it. It's always going to win. So that's where
1: you yeah. spent so much time. I, I really love that. So talk to us a little bit about these seven types of rest. I mean, we think about a lot of our, our audience as entrepreneurs. Some of them have careers that they're trying to climb and they're trying to get the best out of themselves. I think that you mentioned that you were doing the work, but you knew you were far capable of more. Talk to us about those things that, that could probably help us get more out of ourselves while still taking care of ourselves.
0: The seven types of rest, I'll just name them and then we can kind of go in depth in any of them that you want to. Um, So the seven types are physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. And so each type of rest, I think the very first thing we have to kind of break off of people's mindset is that rest is kind of synonymous with cessation activities. You know, a lot of times we think rest, oh, let me lay on the sofa and watch Netflix for 10 hours or Let me go take a nap or let me go to bed. And we always think of rest as just sitting still doing nothing. But rest is really those restorative activities, those things that pour back into the places that we've emptied out. And that's an active process. It's an active process that rather than draining you, actually fills you. And so I think that's kind of the mindset shift people have to have when they think about these seven types of rest. For example, you know, when we think about physical rest, it does have a passive component that is the sleeping and the napping, but physical rest also includes things like yoga, stretching, um, leisure walks, massage therapy, using foam rollers, you know, making sure that your desk chair is ergonomically correct so that your, you know, and your computer is ergonomically correct so that your spine and your body are not in toxic positions as you're working. All of those are active things. You you have to be cognitive of that. You have to be intentional. And, you know, the best thing about each of these types of rest is oftentimes you can kind of incorporate just small changes within your day so that you're getting rest without having to make a big deal about it. You're not having to carve out that major sabbatical, you know, go for a 15 day, you know, staring at a blade of grass kind of thing to center yourself. You're able to actually start thinking about ways of incorporating different types of rest throughout your day without having to, you know, make extra room or add more things to your to-do list. And I think that's important because most of us don't have more time. We need to learn how to use the time we have so that we start living a more restful lifestyle without having to create time for rest.
1: Yeah, And so as I was kind of going through, and like I mentioned before, we were stalking you in, in the most healthiest way possible, uh, <laughs> one of the things I thought when I was like reading some of the things that you've you posted and and watching your TED talk, it was one. It was very active, and and I'm a I'm big proponent on, on like passive learning versus active learning. And I thought this is active rest, like this is like you. There's an intentionality to this that's not just like you said. Netflix and watching television and you know one of the things I thought about was this idea and I and I was listening to uh, I think it was Adam Grant and he was talking about mental health days that people will take off right and so they they're not feeling their, their best and they take the day off from work and they have a mental health day and I'm always curious what are they doing like is that person equipped to actually take care of themselves on the day they don't feel good or is it I'm just going to sit here and watch TV to relax because I you know I'm feeling anxiety and depression like those are things I I constantly think about but when I was listening to you I said that's what you should be doing right you should be spending that day doing yoga you should be spending that day trying to you know recharge yourself in in any capacity that that you need and so when you think about mental rest when you think about that what should a person do like if a person is feeling In a certain way, and they, I need a mental health day. Like, what should they be doing that day?
0: Yeah. So, I love that point because the mind part of rest actually hits two different things. So, the mental rest and then the emotional rest, we're kind of talking about both of them. So, I'm going to hit both Mm. to some degree just to kind of differentiate them a little bit. So, the mental rest part is the part of really kind of how we process information. So, it's the overthinking that most of us do. It's the, you know, you try to lay down to go to sleep at night and your head's like, won't shut up. <laughs> you're running conversations through your head. You're running to-do lists. You're thinking about your email inbox. Your head's doing all the things it's processing. Then the emotional rest has more to do with your feelings, kind of um, that anxiety and that depression and those things. So some ways that someone, if you are experiencing a mental rest deficit, your head won't shut up. You can't concentrate. You have a difficult time being mindful. That would be what mental rest activities would look like. It would be, what are some things we can do to help focus your your mental processes? For some people, that could be as simple as going for a jog. You know, when somebody goes for a jog, physically their body's moving, but oftentimes mentally their headspace clears out because their thoughts are focusing in on their cadence and their breathing. So they're actually kind of narrowing the mental process down and can experience mental rest in those moments. Because they have taken out, they're they actually forcing their body to really kind of think about a specific focused thought. And for mental rest, that's usually the thing, getting your your brain to focus. Because most of us, we stay in multitasking brain mode. Our brain is per, constantly jumping from information to information. So it has a difficult time concentrating. And when we actually focus our thoughts in, and we can, it allows us to clear out the clutter kind of all those other thoughts, and it causes a kind of sense of peace inside of the head. Now, the emotional rest part, if someone is saying that they feel anxious or depressed, emotional rest is experienced when we allow ourselves to just be very real and authentic about what we're feeling. Oftentimes, what happens is people are carrying emotional and emotional load, kind of emotional labor. And many jobs people have, there's associated emotional labor attached to it. I'll give an example from my own life, you know, as a physician, when I'm an internist, so when I'm inside of the ER, the ICU, let's use the ICU, for example, I might be in there with a patient who's at the end of life. This patient isn't just someone who's a chart on a number for me. I live in a small town. So my patients I see in the office are the very same ones I treat in the ICU. So I know this person's cat's name. I've seen their grandkids' pictures. This isn't a stranger to me. This is someone I know. Oftentimes, someone I've treated for many years, so they're also a friend. And so now we're in an end-of-life position. My emotions didn't check out just because I'm in the hospital. But it doesn't benefit Mm -hmm. the patient, their family, the nursing staff, anybody if I bust out in tears, even if that's what I'm feeling. So my professionalism requires me to carry an amount of emotional labor attached to my job. Now, the thing is, some people are doing this with their own kids. COVID hit, people lost jobs, hard stuff happened. You don't want your kids to stress out. So you carry the emotional labor of making everybody think it's all good. Everything's stable. And so many of us, we carry emotional labor in different ways. Maybe you are head of a company and you don't want your employees to know that. I don't know if I can pay you next month. So you're carrying the emotional labor of that. And what happens is when you carry enough emotional labor, it can break you mentally. Or and emotionally, And so when that happens and emotionally you start feeling kind of overly stressed because of the amount of emotional labor, the way you release that is through discussing it with someone, whether that's a counselor, a therapist, a trusted friend, pastor, when you get to pick who your emotional rest person is, but the benefit comes in the release of being able to just be very real, authentic, and vulnerable about what it is you're feeling. Because trying to hold all of that in and hide it usually has the opposite effect. It makes you feel like something is critically wrong with me, that I can't be truthful about who I am and what I feel.
1: Wow. And to me, that sounds like shame. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's the thing. Most of us, we are ashamed to say, I'm scared. I'm scared that people are dying right and left. Because in April, that's what most of us probably should have been saying. This is scary. Mm -hmm. You know, people are dying right and left. We don't know what's going on. Nobody knows how to stop this thing. That's where people were. So there was an excessive amount of emotional labor people were carrying during that time. You know, we have an assessment at restquiz.com. And so (laughs) we saw this huge increase during the pandemic of people taking the assessment kind of to see where they're at. And that was a big one. The emotional rest deficit. That was huge, particularly between April and June. And I believe that was in part. And, and honestly, when we see during that time, the um, emotional emotional rest went up and sensory rest went up. And it was during that time that we had really a huge flux of racial tension that happened. And mm-hmm. you know, a college in California, I won't name names, but a college in California actually did a study based on our research about the relationship between rest and uprisings. Because when sensory rest, deficits happen, most of our responses, anger, agitation, and rage. You know, it's no different than a two-year-old gets sensory overwhelmed at a birthday party and they start slamming their fist and, you know, <laughs> you know, right, having right. a tantrum, adults do the same thing. We just have better control over our fist and our legs. But our response to sensory overload is agitation, rage, and anger. And so with the increase in everybody going virtual, all people working from home. Professions that maybe never were on the computer all of a sudden spending all of their time on the computer. Kids, 24-7 Zoom school. We had a like a quick peak in sensory input without any system in place for how to actually get sensory rest. And then when that happened, we saw that we saw a fallout. Um, we saw a lot of people kind of all of a sudden have emotions that they weren't expressing combined with the sensory overload that they weren't even oftentimes cognitively aware they were dealing with. And it kind of spiked out in that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a lot there. I mean, the sensory, um, uh, overload I think is, I think it's to me, it's a really big deal. And I think that we have three daughters and I think we've done a pretty good job with kind of helping them with, all the different things, the social media, the, you know their phones, you know all the different things that can can really impact them. and I think what I've seen is that there's this kind of I'll call it a pandemic of attention span, and, and you know correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of that comes from like we're overloaded with the sensory, but we go back to it for a way to escape the emotions that we feel, <laughs> we're feel, feeling from all the things you just talked about. And then we get more of that information you know, on our devices that kind of rev us up to, with all the, the civil unrest and all the injustice and all those different things. And before we know it, we're in a cycle.
0: Yeah, that's so true. We're, we, we are in a bit of a toxic cycle. You know, just thinking about just this past 18 months, everybody was already anxious and stressed. So then what do we do? We keep the notifications on our phone high. So when everything happens, you know about it like the split second it happens. Just the right. notification going off on your phone releases a cortisol response. You know, there was a study that then that talked about, you know, as a physician, when I first started medicine, they gave us this thing called a pager. I'm dating myself now, right? So, And the pager, when it would go off, I had one, somebody was dying in that <laughs> hospital. So I would have to run. And the second it goes off, my palms would get sweaty. I'd break out in sweat. You know, all the responses would go on. And people are getting the same response, maybe at a smaller level, but the same type cortisol response from their notifications. Now, the pager might have went off one time, you know, within a day for a, an emergency like that. People's phones are just sending notifications. I mean, sometimes four or five plus an hour. I mean, there's no doubt why we're so stressed. You know, why we are so anxious all the time, because we're really feeding that. We're we're feeding the hormone, um, everything it needs in our society to stay at a level of, of being high.
1: Yeah. And, you know, if Danelle was here, she would say, I turn every notification off through the day when she's working, and she does. I, <laughs> you can't, you can't get in contact with her unless you call her, and you're on her, you know, favorites list or something. But even for us in her family, you text her, and she doesn't see it for hours, and and there's a reason for that. And it, although we expect, you know, in this environment, and this world that we're in, we expect immediate like response. Hey, I text you. Um, you're supposed to respond really quickly. And I don't believe in that. I, I think that someone sends you a message, there's a notification, whatever it is, like it's on your terms when you do that. And I think you exhaust yourself constantly trying to stay abreast to everything that's going on, whether it be the news or if someone's trying to reach out to you, like there's a certain level of control you have to take back or you're going to lose yourself, to my, my opinion. And like, I really want to tap into so that folks that are listening to this will will, this will be able to help them like what are the things that are exhausting you you know whether it be emotionally mentally creative rest like what are those things that can help like keep that energy or at least get you to a place where you're not exhausted
0: yeah so we talked about emotional and mental some kind of examples of how to restore that as well as physical with like yoga and different stuff so i'll hit on maybe some of the other ones sensory specifically we talked about cutting out the notifications, and I always tell people it's not getting rid of your apps. You know, keep all your apps, just turn the notifications off. Like you said, you choose when you want to engage with them. Instead of letting them kind of intrude upon your peace and sanity, you be proactive in kind of protecting that by controlling the notifications. Because really, honestly, most of us don't need the notifications except for the phone and the text messages. Those are the only true emergency, you know, apps that you would need on your phone if somebody really had to reach you for something. The other thing with specifically with sensory is to be aware of kind of the ambient sensory inputs that are in your environment. Oftentimes, particularly, you know, with kids doing homeschooling and stuff like that, there might be like something playing in the background. TV playing in the background, nobody's watching it. You know, some kids have YouTube, your uh, games and stuff playing on their iPad, nobody's listening to it, it's just playing over there in the corner. Be aware of those ambient sounds because even though you're thinking, oh no, well, you know, whatever, I can just ignore it, your body's not ignoring it. Your body's mm-hmm. still experiencing that. And if, especially if you're someone who noticed you have, you know, you seem to be agitated at the end of the day and you don't have a logical reason for that. Chances are there's some type of ambient sensory input your body's responding to that you haven't even really paid attention to yet or noticed. As far as creative rest, creative rest was really interesting because most people don't think they're creative. You know, I'm not an artist, not a musician, you know, these kind of things. So they think that's not for me. Well, you know, creative rest really is if you're someone who has to to solve problems, you know, if you solve problems in any way and throughout your day, you're using creative energy. And, you know, over the past 18 months, all of us had to create new ways of doing old things that we've always done. So there was a huge amount of creative energy expelled by people who didn't think they were creative. But problem solving, being innovative, brainstorming, all of those are creative processes. And so if you're using energy in an area, Without a mechanism in place to restore that energy, you run the risk of being depleted. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of people are running around with creative rest deficits. And the way that looks when you have one is that you don't feel motivated, inspired, or encouraged. You know, um, creative rest, what it does, it kind of reawakens that kind of awe and wonder about life. And really one of the simplest ways of doing that is to have time where you are really appreciating the beauty of what's already been created. So you're spending time letting things inspire you. For some people, that's natural beauty, like looking at the flowers outside or taking a walk outside in nature and kind of appreciating the trees and all of those things. For some, it might be whenever they're around bodies of water. That was a huge one for a lot of people. For others, it could be enjoying creative experiences like going to a dance or listening to music or looking at artwork. There's so many different ways people get motivated and inspired, but we have to recognize the value behind that. And so, you know, one of the big studies was that a large number of people experience creative rest around the ocean and bodies of water. They couldn't even explain what it was that they felt, but it was like they knew when I'm around this situation, I feel better and I can't even explain like in like (laughs) logically why I feel this way. And that's what it is. They're experiencing creative rest. They're experiencing the rejuvenation of simply being able to appreciate something that is inspirational to you. And
1: So that's what it is. Because when I go to the the ocean and we we, last year, we spent, I think, God, it was was probably like seven days near the ocean. We just, there's something very restorative about the waves crashing, walking on the beach your feet in the sand. And it's almost like the grounding that people that I know this became popular a long time ago, where you go outside and you take your shoes off and you you find a grass and you just dig your feet in the grass and you just get grounded with the earth. There's something relaxing. There's something that I think is makes you one with nature in a sense. And I think that that's very therapeutic in my opinion. But I'd love to hear that. I'm glad a doctor agrees.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know what? And that's the thing. When there were studies actually done uh, specifically around this concept. And because so many people over, I think it was 55 to 60% said that they experienced something like that with bodies of water specifically, they actually did studies looking at the uh, MRIs of brains after someone had actually looked at the ocean, MRI of wow. the brain after someone had looked at a picture of the ocean. And then after they looked at colors that resemble the ocean, so the aquamarines, the light blues, all of that. And that M- That brain activity for those people who said they experienced that renewal that you mentioned was the same in all three instances, which is great news for someone who doesn't live near the beach, because you can now bring those creative rest elements into any place. Put a picture on your desktop or on your phone or have a nautical theme within your office or your home office. Color a wall, aqua, you know, if that's a color that kind of relaxes you and, and causes that sense of renewal to you. There's so many ways of doing that. And, you know, the, And the interesting part of that was the people who said that they didn't experience creative rest around bodies of water, their brains did nothing in that situation. It was like, okay, what's the big deal? <laughs> so it's unique for each person. Right. One person forest bathing might be their thing. The next person laying on the beach might be their thing. The next person, it might be sitting in a concert, you know, listening to the music. Or another person, it might be going to an art museum you know, every one of us has our own place where that, that sense of just kind of grounding, as you mentioned, happens. And you just have to be aware that that's just not this kind of foo-foo thing, that that actually is what helps you to stay in a place of creativity.
1: I love that. And I think that now I, I'm i certain we have to have a beach house because I want to be able to keep that creative energy and that juice going. So that's fantastic. A couple things, and then I, I want to we'll kind of tie a bow on things, but I you said the ambient sensory, right? So I have been a big person on like, you should never, ever sleep with the TV on. And I know a lot of people feel like they have to do that. And I feel like to me, what you just said, like your body's always listening. So even though you think you're sleeping, you're not probably getting really good rest. Is that right? Like it might with that, that was intuitive for me.
0: yeah, I think it depends on kind of what's going on with the TV, because yeah. a lot of people actually get deeper into the non rim sleep with like sounds of the ocean or, you know, mm. honestly, sounds of vacuum cleaners <laughs> and all of these kind of white noise sounds, as we call them. So some people actually seem to benefit from that. And what we're finding is, particularly if you're someone who has a hard time getting your brain, your the mental rest, getting your brain to shut up. To kind of quiet down, that sometimes having kind of that white noise background gives your brain kind of almost like a a central hum, so to speak, that it can focus its attention on, so that it's not kind of jumping around at all of these other things in the night that it might hear. But like I said, that's white noise. Now listening to the TV, chances are that's going to have a lot of variation to it. You know, there's going to be somebody's going to slam a door and somebody's going to honk a horn and Dogs are going to bark. You know, there's going to be a lot of different stuff going on. So I would find that very difficult for someone to go into deep sleep because there's so your brain can't find something to focus on to relax. It's going to mm-hmm. still be kind of picking up all of these other things that are happening in the background.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, I think because, you know, I've read a study that they said that your your skin has light sensors and so it is impacted by the light, even if your eyes are closed. And so that it lights up your brain. And so it takes you away from being able to get to REM in, in, in deep sleep. And so I always tell people, hey, you should probably not do that. And I know some people have, you know, hearing issues where they have the ringing of the ears. And so the TV helps drown that out a bit. And so I get that. But I also understand that, like, we're talking about people watching Nick at night. Maybe I'm dating myself. but. <laughs> Because I use I use a sleep meditation that I never get to the end of. Right. It, it, you know, as soon as I start the sleep meditation, it feels like two minutes later, I'm done. Right. But I think that that is very different than someone listening to a television the entire night. I, that one, I just don't think I, you can get deep rest with that. So that was just something that caught my attention when you mentioned it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you're I, right I, in that, you know, the issue with the light at nighttime. I think a lot of people, especially if you find that you tend to wake up a lot at night, One of the things I find a lot of people aren't aware of is the brightness of their actual, like, alarm clock. Yeah. Those alarm clocks actually should be faced away from you. I know that's kind of counterproductive in your head. You're thinking, I want to know what time it is. But if you're not able to dim it, like, seriously dim it to where it doesn't put off a glare or glow around the light, then it needs to actually be turned away from your face because if it's shining towards your face, which is what most people do, they want to be able to peek an eye open and see you know, what time it is. If it's shining towards your face, not completely dimmed, chances are you're not getting to very high quality sleep because your, your eyes, the layer of skin over your eyes is so thin that it can't block out light shining at it like that. Go outside, look at the sun, close your eyes. You'll still see bright you know, it's the same way in your bedroom. It can't completely block that out. And so for that reason, your optic nerve is directly attached to your brain. Your brain still says, okay, stuff's still going on. It's not going to completely go into those deeper levels.
1: Yeah. The good thing is, Janelle and I are very compatible with that. We can't have any light at all not even a a little dot of like an led light from something like everything has to be covered turned off we don't even have an alarm clock just because we're both really sensitive when it comes to that if there it is so interesting if there's a light somewhere in the house like i can feel it like it's like somebody and maybe that's <laughs> that's just a parent in me or or just there's something in my brain that won't shut off when it comes to that but before we, we end it, I want to talk about your books. So you have a, a, one book that's called The Sacred Rest. And I believe, I was just want to make, because it's The Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. And that's your latest book. And so you want to tell us a little bit about that book. And I know you have two other books as well.
0: Yeah, so Sacred Rest is a book where all of this research is actually discussed and laid out. The book's divided up into two sections. The first half of the book talks about the science, the research, talks about the application of the seven types of rest. And then the second half of the book kind of goes more into the what I call the gifts of rest. So it goes into kind of more of the spiritual side of rest. um, And that helps a lot of people kind of see that connection between the mind, body and the spirit.
1: Awesome. And then your other book, and I have it here now. I've got I've got so many notes.
0: No, my two other books are um, Set Free to Live Free, Breaking Through the Seven Lies Women Tell Themselves. And then Come Empty is a devotional.
1: Got it. Come Empty. There we go.
0: So Set Free Delivery is the one that was re-released just recently. It came out in 2011 and it was re-released this year by the publisher again with the fresh cover and updates and all of those kind of things. It's it's one that primarily focuses on helping women overcome some of the things that keep them from what I feel truly succeeding. I find that a lot mm-hmm. of the women that I work with, they have sex, they have success in them. They have greatness in them but they have believed some things that have become limiting beliefs that actually keep them in a, a really uh, self-fulfilling prophecy type situation where they don't advance and they don't excel and they don't succeed because of the lies they keep telling themselves. And so sometimes mm. it requires kind of a mindset reshaping so that they can actually start moving forward in the at the level that they're actually capable
1: of. I love that. We've talked about it like in it. To me, it sounds a little bit about part of that is probably imposter syndrome, and 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 how that is so prevalent, especially with women, and then also the kind of the intersectionality of of women of color too, um, how that plays out in the corporate world and in business and things of that nature. So I think that that's a huge, huge book, and I hope uh, everyone caught that title, "Set Free to Live Free," and then your the last book is "Come Empty."
0: Yeah, my book, Come Empty, is a devotional. So it goes more uh-huh. into kind of understanding spiritual hurt and wounding and the effect it actually has on our health and well-being and, and how we view the world. I think sometimes we don't realize how things that have happened in our past, how they change how we view the world. And in that changing of our perspective, it actually then changes the our outcomes. And so it kind of helps people reconnect the dots between that.
1: Fantastic. So where can folks find you? Where can they find these books? I'm sure people are going to listen to this episode and want to want more. Um, there are some very tired people out there, Sandra.
0: <laughs> there are. So my um, main website is IChooseMyBestLife.com. And you know the books are available wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all the places. And then as far as if someone is still curious, like, well, what? which of the seven types of rest do I actually need? Um, the assessment is free and it's at restquiz.com. And it takes about five to 10 minutes. I mean, it's a 70 something question assessment. So it takes a moment. Uh, I call it a personal investment in, in your own well-being, but it takes a moment to kind of process through those questions. And then you get an email that basically shows you where you score in the seven areas. And oftentimes people will say, well, I failed it. You, it's an assessment. You can't fail it, but it, it does let you see where you're at. And gives you some kind of framework so that you can know places where you can improve.
1: Well, thank you so much for doing this and being here with us. I say us, but me, but in spirit, Janelle is here. We definitely have to have you on again with Janelle. I think that there's so many things that we can continue to discuss, especially a lot of the things you talked about in your uh, your different books. And so, thank you so much, Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith, and you know, thank you for being on the Push Podcast. And for everyone listening, please, if this is your first time to push podcast, uh, go to your iTunes, hit follow so you can get notifications when we have the next episode. But thank you for being here and always push through. Thank you for listening to the push podcast. Hey, we want to hear from you. So if you have a question or there's a particular topic that you want us to tackle and you want us to help you push through, you got to do something for us. You got to go to Apple Podcasts and you got to leave a rating and a review. And in that review, go ahead and leave that question with your Instagram handle so that we can shout you out when we actually answer the question. And we'll talk about that on the podcast and make sure that, hey, this particular podcast is made for you. So leave a rating, leave a review, leave your handle. And until next time, push through.